Last week, we started talking about our roots of worship, and we went backwards a couple thousand years to the Old Testament where the tabernacle of David was established and why God set it up that way. So we're going to do a quick recap on some of those things and hopefully grab a couple other principles that will help us. But I started the Great Commission this week because there's, there's a line in here that I think in the church we miss sometimes. And, and he says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, can you read that with me? And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the very ends of the age. I sat down with a missionary and a church planter this week, and they're using a di- discipleship technique in different parts of the world right now and with much, much success based on verse 20, teaching people how to obey what the Lord had told them to do. To look at a passage of Scripture and say, in this passage, what's God's part and what's our part? And when we learn to obey, we get blessed. When we learn to obey, change happens. When we learn to obey, deliverance comes. When we learn to obey and do what he said, when we, say, when we do it, say do it, do it, things change, amen? And so the Great Commission is a part of teaching and training so people understand what their part is and how to obey that. And in doing so, they see the fruit, they see the, the, the shift, they see life change. And so then we come back here just concerning worship. And we say, God, in worship, how would you instruct us? What, what are the roots of our worship? And you can go back here. When Moses was encountered by God, and, and God told Moses, hey, this is what I'm ta- calling you to do. This is why I'm raising you up, Moses. And here we are in 3, chapter 3. Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? So his job, they've been in slavery for a long, long time. His job was to help Moses. job was to help lead them out. And he's arguing with God, how can I do it? Verse 12 God answered, I'll be with you, and this is your sign that I'm the one who has sent you. When you brought the people out of Egypt, read the yellow with me, you will worship God at this very mountain. One of the reasons he brought them out of slavery is so that they could worship him. Uh, three different times when Moses was going to Pharaoh, God told him, tell, Mo, or tell Pharaoh, Moses, tell Pharaoh this, I want you to bring the people out to celebrate a feast day with me. I want to bring them out of the three days out into the desert so they connect with me. And so the reason, one of the main reasons God sent Moses to Pharaoh is he wanted people to come to connect with him, to worship him so he could establish himself as their God and they'd be his people. So from the beginning, the roots, bring them out of slavery. It's just not to bless them and bring them into the promised land. The number one reason, the first reason he said bring them out is that they're going to connect to me. They're going to learn how to worship me. And so God brings them out in his power through those 10 plagues and the deliverances. He brings them out by parting the Red Sea, by just doing amazing, miraculous things that it could have no chance happen naturally. And he brings his people out first to the mountain and he, and he teaches them and begins to show them how to worship. Now up on the mountain, God encounters Moses. He lays out a pattern. He says, this is how I want to be worshiped. And because God likes visuals and he likes object lessons just like me, I, I, God, God laid some things out and he said, here's a pattern of worship that I want to establish so they get it, so they understand visually how they approach me and how they can grow and encounter me and, and know me and, and, and worship me like I designed. How many believe it's a good thing to do it God's way, right? When he tells us to do something, we, we do it his way and we get his results, 
He tells us to do something. We still do it our way. We get our results. So tell your neighbor, it pays to obey. It does. It pays to obey. So last week, we talked about this elaborate thing. These guys are wandering through the desert. He could have given them little grass mats to roll up, carry on their camel, and lay out, but no. He said, I want you to drag 6.43 tons just to metal through the desert, plus all the linen, all the poles, everything else, probably 8 or 10 tons worth of stuff. They're dragging it through the desert, setting it up, because God said, I want you to learn to worship me. And in the midst of this tabernacle, he implemented some things, some signs, some places where they traveled through in their heart, in their mind. They traveled through along this path, and this is how God established worship in their heart. One commentator said this, Herman Wistius, he said, God created the whole world in six days, but he used 40 to instruct Moses about the tabernacle. Little over one chapter was needed to describe the structure or the creation of the world, but he took six chapters as he described how God was, or Moses was supposed to uh, build the tabernacle. So that's a pretty, pretty crazy thing, that God went to details and said, this is how I want to be worshipped. He went through details and said, this is the system, this is the plan, this is the overview I want you to get. This is how I'm going to establish my worship connection in your life. This is, I read this last week, but Graham Kendrick, who writes on worship and writes songs and that, he said, when God's people began to praise and worship him using biblical methods he gives, the power of his presence comes among his people in even a greater measure. Worship is first and foremost for his benefit. Say his benefit. No, louder. His benefit. His benefit, not ours, though it is marvelous to discover that in giving him pleasure, we ourselves enter into what can become our richest and most wholesome experience in life. So God's given us this gift of worship, and he requires worship. It's not optional. Some of us treat it like, well, if I feel like it, I will. If it's good music, I like. The volume's right, all that. Then maybe I'll connect, and I'll worship God a little bit. Now, you've been commanded to worship. You, you've been instructed, encouraged, even from the beginning. Our roots, our roots are in worship. God said, bring them out of slavery, first of all, so they worship me. And it's not because he's some ego-filled God. He knows his desires to have communion with us and fellowship with us. But he also knows what it happens to us when we connect that way, how it changes us, how we're transformed when we learn to worship. Amen? Amen. So this is interesting. God, his pattern... I mean, he, he set it up such a specific way. He even anointed and raised up guys to help build it. How many in here work with your hands? You're a craftsman. You're doing, you're, you're doing something with tools or you're, yeah, lots of people in here. Do you know you can be anointed to do that just like somebody could be anointed as an evangelist or a pastor or a teacher? Here, this is what he said about these guys. Then the Lord said to Moses, look, I specifically chosen Bezel, son of Uri, grandson of Hur, of the tribe of Judah. I have filled him with the Spirit of God, giving him great wisdom, ability, and expertise in what? In all kinds of what? Crafts. He is a master craftsman, expert in working with gold and silver and bronze. He's skilled in engraving and mounting gemstones and in carving wood. He is a master at every craft. I think Cardi Holland's over there. Cardi? Sharon, could you elbow him? Is he awake? Okay. Just Cardi got the opportunity to work on some of the Madonna's stuff, and he was helping with Phyllis Madonna's house, and so I got a peek inside. I hope that's not too confidential. It doesn't matter. I already said it too. 
But I got to walk through and see what they're doing, the craftsmanship. And the, she's got a fireplace that's almost like as big as that whole silver uh, mesh with there's whale fossil bones in it, isn't it? I mean, it's an amazing place, the craftsmanship that went into that place. And yet it's nothing like God had in his heart as far as his tabernacle and, and later his temple for worshiping him. And he anointed people to raise him up to do it. So here, here's this. I put picky, picky, picky. So I'm just, I'm just going to pick out the one thing, just the one thing that God want them to make. And this is why we need to get it, because we have such a casual attitude sometime in worship. We show up distracted, upset, playing our new Pokemon game, whatever. We, we, we just showing up, and we're thinking about everything else, and the music is going, and we're saying, I don't like those lights are in my face. This, this, too loud, too uh, black, this, this. I don't like that. Oh, drummer's haircut. And, 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 and we're, we're looking at everything else. Look, look God, he, he, he designed this thing. Detail-wise, he, he designed this thing. He said, look, I'm, I'm paying attention to detail, God said. So here's just the lampstand. Make a lampstand of pure hammered gold. Make the entire lampstand and its decorations of one piece, the base, the center stem, the lamp cups, the buds, the petals. Make it with six branches going out from the center stem, three on each side. And look at 33. And each of the six branches will have three lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds and petals. Craft the center stem and the lamp stem with four lamp cups shaped like almond blossoms, complete with buds. I mean, this could be on the HGTV network. God, God say, this is how I want it to look. No, just not any petal, almond blossoms. I want almond blossoms on my lamp stem. In detail. In detail. He said, this is how I want it to be. And I'm not just talking about, you know, the specifics of this utensils back then. I'm talking about a heart of God that says, hey... When you come into my presence, don't, don't be sloppy. Be, be intentional. When you, when you come into my presence, be purposeful. When you come into my presence, know that you're coming into the, the presence of the living, creative God. When you're coming into my presence, know this, that you know, I, I, I've ordained it that we would communicate, but this is who I am. He's declaring, this is who I am. I'm an extremely creative God that does things on purpose and with intention. And when we learn to, purpose, to worship him with like that, just like, nah, if I feel like it, I'll do it. Ooh, nice day. Beach, church, beach, church. Ah, going to the beach. We, we, we just can treat it so casually where it's not with intention, with desire. And so Lord, the Lord laid out this pattern. Last week we looked, even when they were traveling, the 12 tribes in the middle is the tabernacle, and then around here is the tribe of Levi, some of the Levites that camped out close to the tabernacle to take care of it. Well, then the 12 tribes, and you know, this is an artist rendering, so how accurate, we're not sure. But I wanted to point out the biggest tribe right here is the tribe of Judah, and the gateway into the temple was this way. So the, the implication is that you would come through Judah, which means praise, to enter the gate. And they're facing west. They're not facing east like the sun worshipers. God told them, I want you to face west. And this is how he established it. He had a purpose in it. But I, I wanted to mention, and I didn't probably as much last week, that this tribe of Judah whom God picked, it was important. We see the gate. Here we see the gate of purple up front and other renderings have it even more colorful than that, that God really, in the, in the covering over here, I mean, he used for the situation, the condition, I mean, he, 
He fixed it up. It was nice to come into the presence of God. How many think it's still nice to come into the presence of God? And so here we go. He, he had them out here. They come into the gate. This is how they start. They come out here through the gate. They entered there. And then he put these, these different pieces of furniture that were part of the, the journey. And first was this bronze altar where the sacrifices happen. Scripture said without the shedding of blood, there's no forgiveness of sin. And so then there would be this cleansing, their forgiveness. And then you would really enter into worship with the table, the showbread, and the lampstand. And we talked about those last week. But this, this thing of how they enter in first with praise. They came through Judah. They came through praise where their focus would be on God and who he is and what he did. And first, instead of focusing on myself first or my need for God, I would just focus on God first in his faithfulness and his greatness and his goodness. And to be covered in the names of God would be an awesome thing, to be cognizant of God's names when we're in worship. So you start first with God, but then you move towards the sacrifice where you and me recognize. We go from looking at him, now we look in here a little bit. We're looking in the face of a holy God, then we look inwardly and say, God, how about in here? Lord, how, how am I doing in here? What do I need to confess? What, what do I need to get right? I'm grateful the blood of Jesus has covered my sin, past, present, and future. How about you? But First John still says this. If we confess our sin, he's faithful and just to do what? To forgive us of our sin and what? Cleanse us of all unrighteousness. So we're still called to confess, right? When we're mess up, we're still called to bring that to the Lord, to ask him to be cognizant of those things, not to dwell on it, not to develop a sin consciousness only, but we're still instructed because we're coming before a holy God to admit when we mess up, and then you come to the labor, the washing we talked about last week. It was made out of, they said, bronze mirrors, and so when you look in the labor, you see your reflection. You can see your reflection, the priesthood could. So it goes from thanksgiving to God, his greatness, more toward introspection, where I need to get things right, more towards cleansing. Lord, cleanse me of this stuff. I see it in me. I see it on me, Lord. I want it off me. And then you come into worship. And so he left that pattern there. And I'm just talking about me. I've been doing this for 30 years. I've been in thousands of worship services. Do I, with intentionality, even think much about my attitude when I come in or my anger or other stuff that happened to a point that I would really get rid of that when I'm coming into God's presence. And yet I look at this elaborate tabernacle thing and I say, oh, that's important to God. It's important that if I have ought or if I have unforgiveness in my heart or if I have bitterness in my heart or if I got other things going on, when I come into his presence that I deal with that stuff. That's why I think he gave us the pattern. Anybody with me this morning? And so let's look at Judah. Let's back up a little bit about coming through this gate. This is when Jacob began to prophesy over his 12 sons. Before he died, he began to prophesy over his 12 sons. And this is what he said about Judah. Judah, your brothers will praise you. Because the name Judah literally in Hebrew translate praise. Judah, your brothers will praise you. You'll grasp your enemies by the neck. And all your relatives will bow before you. Judah, my son, is a young lion that has finished eating its prey. Like a lion, he crouches and lies down, like a lioness who dares to arouse him. This is where we get the thought of the lion of the tribe of Judah in praise. This is where it was prophesied just about the strength of who Judah is. He was the fourth son, but he got the first son blessing. 
And through Judah came Jesus. Through Judah, the son of David was born. Through, through Judah, which meant praise, Jesus Christ came through that lineage. Aren't you glad for that? And in that, we get this symbol of the lion. And this is the cool thing. The scepter will not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from his descendants, until the coming of the one to whom it belongs, the one whom all nations will honor. So Jacob prophesies in the first book of the Bible about the coming of Jesus through the tribe of Judah and that this scepter, this authority will be connected to praise. This authority in God's kingdom will be connected to worship, worshiping God his way. Amen? And so that's why here in Revelation, we get to the back of the book. The first book is prophesied in the back of the book. Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has conquered. That's the end of the book. The lion of the tribe of Judah, he is conquered, tied in throughout Scripture, woven through Scripture, the promise of Judah praise. So when we come into his presence, we're supposed to enter his good gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Amen? Jesus said he was the gate. He's the way we come in. It's from what Jesus has done and what he's accomplished. So he's the gate. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that this morning. Because of Jesus, we have access to the Father. He's opened the way, stairway to heaven for us, not the... Uh, Rock and roll version, but anyway, access to Abrahamic covenant through him, invited to the throne because Jesus is the gate. He's the pathway out of destruction into life. That is Jesus, the gate, amen? And we come into that gate with what? Gates, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Now, I want you to read this. I started today, and we're just about done. I started today talking about obedience. I started today talking that disciples obey what God says, Amen? Anybody, everybody agree with me? Disciples, followers of Jesus were called to obey. So here David writes one of the most famous psalms about praise and worship. And let's look at our part in this one, okay? Come on, read it with me. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Now, I put in yellow the things that I thought were kind of our part. What's the first line say? Make a joyful shout to the Lord. That's not a weak mumble. Hallelujah. Thanks, God. No, joyful shout. Lord, thank you. Thank you. I've seen some of you guys at sporting events, and you can put your shout on. But you come into church. Hallelujah. Come on. He said to his people, come on, make a joyful shout to the Lord. Then, then he said, serve the Lord with sad face. Serve the Lord with sad face. No, gladness, if it's in your heart, should it be on your face? If it's in your heart, in your countenance, shouldn't you be able to show a little gladness in worship? So he gives us instruction, come before his presence with mumbling. No, with what? With singing. I heard you sing this morning. It was awesome when we were singing together. And then here, intentionality, verse 3, intentionality. No, no, that the Lord, he's God. Should that come out in worship, knowing that the Lord, he is God? Should that come out in worship? It's not a suggestion. God, you're awesome. You are awesome in this place, Father God. Lord, you are mighty. You are powerful. Know that he is God. Amen? And it is he who has made us and we not ourselves. You're not the center of worship. 
You and me are not the focus of worship. He is the focus of worship. It's Him that we come for. It's Him that we praise. It's Him that we give glory to. A few of us, I'm going to preach over here. There's a little more response on this. Do you believe that? Do you believe that it's about Him and not us? For we are His people and the sheep of His pasture. And then he goes on to say this. Enter His gates with thanksgiving. Read that again. Enter his gates with thanksgiving. That means being grateful. Now, look, some of you have been doing this a long time. Life can be tough and challenging and hard. But thanksgiving is a gift that he's given us. First of all, to him. It's owed and pointed to him. But when you cultivate thanksgiving in your heart, it changes lots. It changes, you know, your countenance. It changes that heaviness. It lifts weights when we learn to be thankful to him. So he said, this is how you come into his gates with thanksgiving. There's times I'm super thankful for what, what God has done. There really is times. There's times I whine and complain about little stuff. But really, there's times I'm putting on my socks saying, God, thank you for clean socks this morning and my wife that helps take it, make it happen in Jesus' name. <laughs> Lord, thank you for this morning. I opened the fridge and I had, could have a choice of hard-boiled eggs or yogurt or whatever else is in there. Thank you, God, that I, I, I had this morning a choice of what clothes I would put on. Lord, thank you for my pillows. I have three pillows. I'm grateful, Lord for pillows when I sleep. I'm grateful this morning when I took, took and went in the shower. I wasn't wondering if it was going to be hot or cold. It came on, and it was warm, and it felt good. The things that we blessed with, do you cultivate? Have you cultivated an attitude, a heart of thanksgiving? He asked us. That's how we approach him. That's how we approach him. You're going through tough stuff. You still approach him with thanksgiving. You and me, you know, this morning, to be honest, when I got the text at 5 about my friend Ron, I thought to preach on Thanksgiving, to preach on worship this morning. Come on, God, you got, you got to fill me. God, you, you, got to, you got to help me. It's been, it's been a challenge, but I'm grateful that we have the opportunity and by will and by intention and by being purposeful, I can thank God for Ron Salisbury's life. I can thank God for the people he touched. I can thank God for my life that he touched. I can be grateful this morning, even going through stuff. And he said, this is how you come into my gates. This is how you come in my courts with praise. This is how you approach me with thanksgiving. Don't approach me with whininess. Don't approach me in complaining. Don't approach me in murmuring. Come into my gates and my courts with thanksgiving. Enter in with praise. Amen, church? Amen? Well, let's do something. How many are determined to be not just hearers but doers? So, so this is the way in. Jesus is the gate, the altar, confessing a sin, the labor, getting it washed. Again, that's the pathway forward, but... One other final thought. So we know how to come into his gates with thanksgiving. We're going to obey that in just a minute for one minute. And then this is the other part. So God takes him out. Oh, I'm sorry. This is where he instructs us. Okay, we're going to get through this quickly. Read this with me. But don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. For if you listen to the word and don't obey, it's like glancing at your face in a mirror. You see yourself walk away and forget what you look like. But if you look carefully into the perfect law that sets you free, and if you do what it says and don't forget what you heard, then God will bless you for doing it. James 1, 23 through 25, New Living Translation. So you got to be a what? A doer. So tell your neighbor, you got to be a doer. You got to be a doer. If we're going to enter in praise and worship, right, we're going to do it with thanksgiving. 
We're going to do it in freedom. We're going to do it with praise towards God. Then we're going to reflect on what's going on on the inside of our life and our heart. We're going to wash that off. We're going to get that clean as we're entering into deeper worship with Him. Last thought, praising in dry times. So they set up this tabernacle. They begin wandering, and they set it up, and they stay there, and then God says, move. They pick it all up, drag it all, go another how many more miles, set it up again. Here they come to this place called Beer. It's an interesting name, and, and uh, which is the well. It was a well named Beer. So I'm not sure what God was serving, but... Uh, Anyway, they get to this place. From there, the Israelites traveled to Beer, which is the well where the Lord said to Moses, assemble the people and I'll give them water. So he says, bring the people together, get them together, and I'll give them water. And there the Israelites sang this song, spring up a well. Yes, sing its praises. Sing of this well which princes dug and great leaders hollowed out with their scepters and their staffs. And so the Lord, the Israelites drank there and they left. Now there's a principle in this thing. I don't know how dry the well was when they got there, but there was, there was you know, probably over a couple million people showing up at this well. God brings them to the well, and he says, sing over the well. Declare over the well. Spring up, O well. Declare over it. Sing its praises. Sing about the history of this well. Just when you begin to declare, see what the Lord does, and he watered them, and he took care of them there. there there's wells in our life, promises that he gave us that maybe aren't producing like they should, springs that aren't flowing right now. There's a principle in praise right here. When you begin to say, thank you, Lord, for this well. Thank you for this promise of health, Lord. Thank you for this promise of provision. I just declare over it, Lord. It's going to spring up. Lord, I declare over that healing's going to come forth. I declare over this, Lord, that the answers are coming. The wisdom I need's available. Begin to declare and sing over the well. It began to produce, and they were taken care of. Come on, stand up with me.